Tapping the Keg Daily is live for Tuesday. It is November 7th, and we're talking about Craig Council and the ultimate stunner going to the Chicago Cubs. We will talk about it all. We'll go through the entire process with you. We're also going to talk about Marquette's first game, a win against Northern Illinois. I was in the building. I'll give you some thoughts. And then I'll talk Bucks Nets to wrap up today's show. Before we get going, social media was on fucking fire today. Thank you to all who engaged with content, who shared my content, who liked it. Uh, I really appreciate it. Even if you watched it and you didn't do any of those things, I still appreciate you. Uh, if you are coming in from social media, you followed along, you joined the program, welcome in. Uh, we are on all the platforms, Tabby the on X, uh, formerly Twitter, uh, Tabby the Sports on Instagram, TikTok, as well as Facebook. Uh, and we appreciate you guys checking us out. We have a podcast here four days a week, one of them with my guy Mitch. Uh, and we talk Wisconsin sports, and that's all we talk about for anywhere from 45 minutes to an hour. We're on an hour streak right now. Uh, maybe we'll have another. And those who have already subscribed, you know what to do. Drop it in the group chat. You give yourself another voice about Craig Council and about what's going on. And if you know, you're know you sick of Craig Council, there's some basketball talk for you as well. So it's not just Craig Council, it's everything. That's what we're here to provide for you. A rare Tuesday where we're not talking anything about the Green Bay Packers, especially after a victory on Sunday, getting ready for next week against the Pittsburgh Steelers. No, it's all about Craig Council and what happened in hoops on Monday night. Let's get going. Craig Council takes the Chicago Cubs manager job. That wasn't even open. Uh, they fire David Ross. They hire Craig Council. It is an absolute stunner. Uh, to kind of take you guys through my day, um, I had a little bit of a light day. Uh, I was on my computer uh, when this news was breaking, and I started to like vigorously refresh. And it just seemed like it was coming. And when you're waiting for bad news on Twitter, like the Aaron Rodgers story, when Aaron Rodgers gets traded to the New York Jets, it kind of just happened. It, it didn't necessarily have sort of this dramatic build. It was like Aaron Rodgers been traded to the Jets. When Damian Lillard got acquired by the Milwaukee Bucks, it kind of just came out of nowhere. When Giannis Antetokounmpo signed his extension, he broke the story himself. This was totally different because all of a sudden, all these different beat reporters, all these different national media guys started to pick up breadcrumbs. All of a sudden it was Craig Council is going to manage, but it's not gonna be with the Milwaukee Brewers. And oh, by the way, it's not gonna be with the New York Mets. Who could it be? I was convinced, okay, it's gonna be the San Diego Padres. The San Diego Padres can't afford half the fucking roster, but they're gonna figure out a way to get Craig Council to San Diego and they're just gonna make it work. And then it, comes out that Craig Council is going to manage, but it's it's with a team that has a manager currently on their roster. They have someone that's employed. So then everybody's going, well, is it going to be the New York Yankees? The Yankees talked about how it want to be competitive. Are they going to get rid of Aaron Boone? Is it going to be Boston? Maybe Alex Cora leaves or goes up to be the GM and they kind of pull a Brad Stevens-like move. Is it you know someone else that we're not thinking about? Miami was another, I think, thought, even though Skip Shoemaker was manager of the year, potentially, uh, in the National League. 
No, it was the Chicago Cubs. And that was the worst nightmare. And everybody worried that the Chicago Cubs could be on the table. People worried it could be the St. Louis Cardinals. I think I said to people on Twitter, if it's the Cardinals or Cubs, I'm going to wander in traffic. I didn't wander in traffic. I'm still here. But that's not to say that I didn't look at what it took to get to the home bridge from my house. Like, this is absolutely terrible. Like, there is no way that I can sugarcoat this. I can't give you like the happy-go-lucky glass half full Charlie that you hear on this podcast. So if you're new to this podcast, I promise you that I am a pretty positive sports fan and that I always try to find the positives. I don't have a lot of that for you today. This was absolutely out of nowhere and I was straight up reeling for 20 minutes after. I was pacing around my bed in my basement Work just could wait. Like, I was like, this is absolutely unbelievable. And I just, I, I was gobsmacked by it. And I was like, I couldn't, you know, it took me a while to get it on the TikTok and Instagram, the reaction that I had, because I was just kind of out of my mind a little bit. Like, how could this have happened? How could this have happened? Cubs fan, after I've posted it and it's done really well on TikTok, and thank you to those who watch it, like we're over 15,000, not a big deal. Cubs fans are in my mentions like, oh, Brewers fans are in shambles. Yeah, we fucking are. That's absolutely true. Nobody saw this coming. This was not discussed. This was not floated. This was not rumored. It was an absolute, complete blindside. We are Chad Clifton and Craig Council is Warren fucking Sapp. The real ones will know that reference. And this is so much worse than anything we could have imagined. He goes to the Mets and teams up with David Stearns. Okay, whatever. That was part of the plan. He goes to the Houston Astros and manages a team that has went to seven straight ace ALCSs. Okay, that makes sense. He goes cashes out in San Diego. That makes sense. But the fucking Cubs of all teams, arguably the biggest rival for the Milwaukee Brewers in the last five years, considering the Cardinals falling off and the Cubs and Brewers having a lot of back and forth. He goes to the Chicago Cubs. Prince Fielder was rumored once to the Cubs. After the 2011 season, people thought Prince Fielder might be a member of Chicago Cubs. It's pretty scary at that point, not going to lie. Everybody was worried a little bit that Fielder would join the Cubs. The Cubs wanted to spend money. Cubs ended up not signing Fielder. He goes to the Rangers. And that was the only time we flirted with a guy turning his back on the Milwaukee Brewers, a prominent guy turning his back on the Milwaukee Brewers. Because that rivalry is fierce. It is mean. It is aggressive in the stands. There are times where you don't really want your kids around a Friday or Saturday Brewers-Cubs game at Miller at American Family Field. And that's just how it goes. And now we have to face the fact that our manager didn't want to be in Milwaukee. He wanted to stay in the Midwest, so he decided to choose Chicago instead. It's absolute fucking betrayal. There, there isn't any which ways about it. Mark Ananasio, who I want to, I want to get to, uh, talks about how Craig Council turned his back on a community and a fan base. It's without question he did it and it's a fucking shame. Craig Council doesn't care. Craig Council does what Craig Council wants to do. 
And the money is the money. And I, I do want to get into that here momentarily. But I, I just think that Craig Council underestimates how much damage that this is going to cause. Especially the Cubs go on and win a World Series. If they drive that, that knife in and Craig Council gets a World Series with this team, it, it exemplifies it. It gets so much worse. Because Craig Council, a guy who everybody thought was this homegrown son, who was this guy that was a brewer for life, that was one of the more important faces of this entire franchise, turned his back and said, fuck you, to all of us, to you, to me, to your parents who watch the Brewers, to your family members who are Brewers fans, to people who are just casual Brewer fans who come out for the playoffs who, or who go to tailgates and drink beers. Craig Council double-birded all of them and took a big shit inside American Family Field. And that's how it has to feel. And it can't feel good. We And like I said, we're in shambles. I'm, I am, it's, it is crisis mode. It is way worse than any of the other shit that we've dealt with. The Rogers stuff, it was at that point, it was like, all right, just do it, right? It's like the departed scene at the end where Matt Damon's like, just fucking kill me. Like that was how it was with Rogers. With Devontae Adams, that came out of nowhere. But I think, you know, at that time, we, we knew it was a possibility and then it happened. I think the Devontae one was, it wasn't close to this, but it was at least a little bit surprising just because I think a week prior, Rodgers had signed that huge deal. So we're like, oh, yeah, Devontae's coming back, bringing the band back together. JK, no, Devontae's traded because he hates fucking Green Bay. It stings. It really does. And the money part, which I want to get into, and obviously everybody's mad at Mark Ananasio because the Milwaukee Brewers did not pay $8 million for Craig Council to be the manager. Brewers paid $5.5 million per the reports. And I know that the fan base is very mad at Mark Ananasio. I understand there is a large section of Brewer fans that want Mark Ananasio to sell the team. I will also say that $8 million for a manager is pretty fucking expensive, okay? Is a manager really worth $8 million? Bruce Bochy has won four World Series. Bruce Bochy is an absolute killer in October, and he is not the highest paid manager in baseball. Why is that? Bruce Bochy should be treated like Phil Jackson. That's a little intense, but you get my point. Like who's done better in October than Bruce Bochy? And they took a Rangers team from 68 wins to 90 wins. And yes, they, they paid a lot of fucking guys. But if we're using the theory that the Cubs are, that Craig Council can get this team over the hump, then Bruce Bochy should probably be paid that way too. I know a lot of owners are probably very upset at the Ricketts right now and are upset that they have set a new standard. Now, the other question, and I have a lot of actual other questions that we're gonna, we're gonna do here in a second, but were the Brewers allowed to match that $8 million? Did Craig Council even give them that chance? Because I don't think he did. So I understand we wanna be mad about the $2.5 million, right? Craig Council said, here's, here's kind of what happened. And here's what I think happened. I do not have this sourced, but here's what I think happened if I'm following the timeline correctly. The Milwaukee Brewers said 5.5 million. We're gonna give you two more extra million dollars. It's a multi-year deal. You're gonna be taken care of. You're gonna go down as the best brewer manager in history. He still probably is, 
But it's like you're going to further solidify that. And we're going to do what we can to get you a World Series and get you the talent around you. We believe in the talent we have. And then Craig Council talked to his buddy, David Stearns. And buddy, I, I, I shouldn't even say buddy. I should use it in like quotations because from the reports you read, it didn't necessarily sound like Stearns and Council were really on the same page. And they say, okay, how, they're, Brewers are giving me 5.5. What can you do to match that? We're going to give you $7 million. Okay, great. Uh, that's awesome. That, I would love that. Like that sounds, that sounds really good. And then he back-channeled with the Chicago Cubs. The Cubs knew he was interested. There were people that told him it was his quote-unquote dream job. According to my guy, Brett, he, his wife's family are Cubs fans. Uh, and Craig Collins was like, all right, I got seven from the Mets. What can you do? We can go to eight. Okay, perfect. And deal was done. That's kind of how it sounds. That's kind of how it sounds. And I don't know how you can blame Mark Anasio. Like, I just, I don't know, man. Like, I, I, I know you guys who hate Mark Anasio are motherfucking me in the car or motherfucking me at your desk. But I, I like, let's just lay it out. Let's, we've, we've laid this out here. And how, how is this on Mark for this moment in general? So yes, there is a lot to still talk about with Ananasio, uh, but it goes back to council and doing something that is the worst move in Wisconsin sports history. It is the most villainous thing that I can possibly think of. It's worse than Brett Favre. And you football guys will tell me I'm crazy, but it is. Look, Brett Favre did not end his career. He did not jump to the Minnesota Vikings in 2008. The Packers didn't let him. The Packers were adamant that they were not going to trade him to the NFC. There's a famous Favre story that he thought he was going to Tampa Bay. And Ted Thompson pulled a fast one on him and traded his ass to New York. The only way that Favre got to Minnesota, and by the way, he also wanted to play for Chicago, uh, was to retire. And then he became a Viking. And his old friend Brad Childress was on the, was the head coach of the team. And there they, was Childress the head coach? Yeah, I think he was. Shit. Childress, Brad Childress nearly got a Super Bowl. That's wild. Uh, but anyways, Brett Favre joins the Vikings and he kind of forced his way to that. And we knew that that was on the table. We knew that was possible. This was absolutely out of nowhere. And I think that adds so much more pain that just, they, we just got stabbed. Like we got absolutely, we got shanked and we're bleeding out as fans. I think the only thing that, kind of comes close is like the, the Packers lost to Seattle. Like that, that's kind of there. I'm not a huge Badger fan, but maybe the back-to-back Hail Marys in a way. Like this is way the fuck up there. It's that bad. The Chris Taylor catch is like this, but in manager leaving form. So yeah, Craig Council, it was awesome. It was real, man. But not going to really fuck with you for a long time. And I hope your ass gets booed to all holy hell when you step foot at American Family Field because you're owed absolutely nothing. All right, a few other questions I have. And I think the first one, kind of continuing on with our Mark Ananasio topic, is should Mark Ananasio have any of this blame? What's the blame that you should assess to Mark Ananasio? So I have it in three different categories. I think yes, I think no, and I think also yes. I think 
Yes, in the fact that he let it get to this point. Mark Ananasio should have known when to cut bait. And he should have worked something out with counsel to say, hey, step down as manager after with David Stearns, join David Stearns. We have it in your contract. You have to ride out your contract. You can't manage for a year. Enjoy your senior year of your son at Whitefish Bay. Have a, have a summer off. Enjoy, enjoy the time away. And if you don't want to be a brewer manager, that's fine. We're okay with it. But the Brewers convinced themselves that they could somehow rebuild the relationship. I wonder, again, this is just me thinking and just putting the pieces together myself. I wonder if Craig Council wanted to be the GM. I wonder if Craig Council wanted to be the GM and Ananasio either rejected that idea or decided against it. Or the Brewers told, no, we need you to be manager. And Council rebelled. And then Council was like, fuck this. And didn't want to, and it was like, all right, well, I'm done. And Council had told him in late September or in September that he wanted to manage, but he didn't know if it would be in Milwaukee. First of all, the fact that Council's thinking about that in September as we're trying to win a pennant race is absolutely fucking wild. That is kind of disgusting in a way. It's like, can you worry about your team? Like, why are you worried about yourself at this point? Why are you worried about what you're going to do? And Anna was like, I don't want to be a distraction to the fan base. I, yeah, or not fan base, but the team. Yeah, absolutely. No need to work into contract negotiations when you're trying to win a goddamn pennant. It's not the time. So I, I don't exactly blame Mark Ananasio for the fact that council probably wanted to change the scenery. We talked about that on podcast yesterday. I think that that is a real thing. I think people sometimes get tired of the same thing, right? That's why people, like this is extreme, but it's why people cheat, right? Because they're just tired of the same old shit and they wanna see what something else is like. That's why people leave jobs. That's why people jump from job to job sometimes because they're like, the grass is greener on the other side. Craig Council believes the grass is greener in Chicago. We'll have to see. I do think that the Brewers should have tried to find a way to go all in. With what's going on in the state right now, the optics look terrible. And how people feel about Mark Ananasio and, and the Brewers front office, it's threat level red. And I don't necessarily know how the Brewers are able to come back from this. I do think that the Milwaukee Brewers need to just take a quick step back, take a deep breath on everything, and just start really thinking about the next manager of this team and not make any rash decisions. They need to see what's best for this Brewers team as they continue on in the 2024 season. But I will say this, other questions that we we have about this, because there are there's still more to talk about. There's still more things to wonder about. Will people not attend Brewers baseball because Craig Council isn't there? I think the rebuild is way harder. I don't think you could do a rebuild. I, I really don't. I think you kind of have to push your chips in and see what happens. Because now you have an angry ass fan base and you're gonna have to find ways to make them less angry. Jackson Trio getting a major contract, probably a good start. Keeping Corbin Burns or Willie Thomas, probably a good idea. I think you would still actually trade Corbin Burns and be okay. I don't think 
Corbin Burns' Q score is as high as maybe some people think it is. But I don't think the pa- the Brewers, excuse me, can sell rebuild to their fan base. I don't think any of them, anyone's going to buy that. I don't think anyone wants to be a part of that, especially when the if the Cubs spend money. And I want to. I have a question about the Cubs here in a second. Like that, that makes it so much worse. Should the Brewers pay a manager eight million dollars a year? We kind of asked that. I don't think so. I, I really don't. I, I. The more I think about it, the more that I, I kind of talk to myself about it. Eight million is so fucking much for a manager. Will the Brewers and Cubs be the best rivalry in baseball? I. I think there's going to be a lot of anger, right? I think there are a lot of anger, right? Like there was one Brewers player that's like, I can't talk. Like a prominent Brewer player, like this hurts so much. Like I'll circle back in a couple days. And I do, I didn't see who the quote, all the quotes were. I think McAlvey got a bunch of Brewer quotes today. I think maybe, I didn't see if Yelich quoted, but I haven't seen anything from Christian Yelich. And Yelich and Council were fucking tight. And I, I just, I weirdly wondered about Christian Yelich. I almost tweeted that out and then I didn't. Where I was like, I wonder what Christian Yelich is thinking right now. Like, I would love to have a beer with him right now. Be like, what's going through your mind, dude? Because I can't imagine he's too happy. But I think from the best rivalry, it's Astros Rangers after that epic series and the near fight and everything else. Then I think it's Braves Phillies. And then I think it's Brewers Cubs. That's where it is. That's how I, I would tear it out. And I think you got to put that front and center on your primetime screens. If you're Fox, if you're ESPN, like this, this is major firework stuff that's going to happen between these two teams because of the manager. Should you bouquet council? I think I already said that, but yeah, absolutely. hundred percent. No question about it. I know a lot of the media is going to be like, we should be appreciative of what Craig council did. Fuck that. I can appreciate that in, 10 years when he retires and he's, you know, coaching, you know, the Nakawa uh, Korean league team, which not a Korean league team. I, I, I was, that's more Japan, but whatever. doesn't matter. Like I fuck that. No. Uh, what will the Cubs do in free agency? I, I think they're going to resign Bellinger. I think they'll give Bellinger a big contract, which I think might be a mistake actually. Like, are we sure Cody Bellinger is going to be this guy again? Or was he just Bill Hall in it? Uh, Shohei Otani, I think is going to be in their, their sites. Uh, that's, I mean, you want to talk about true, true, just I'm never watching baseball again. If the Cubs have not only Craig Council, but Shohei Otani, um, yeah, that's, that, that's, that's bad. That's, that's nightmare, nightmare, nightmare fuel. Uh, and then the other one, you ready for this? Josh Hader. I think they'll go for Josh Hader. I, I really do. I will, I will predict that here. Um, Council, I think, had a good relationship with Hater. There's rumors that Council, you know, kind of didn't want Hater to get traded. Um, I think that Albert Azalei, pretty solid young closer, but guess what? Azalei as your setup man, Hater as your closer. Look, oh, all of a sudden you have a version of the Hater Williams combination. Wouldn't you look at that? Oh, that's that's convenient, right? Uh, yeah. Josh Hader's going to be a couple. And that's going to add even more fuel to the fire. Um, and is there any positive for the Brewers? Uh, I, couple things. Jax Trio, uh, yeah, Jax Trio is awesome. Jax Trio has a chance to be baseball Giannis for the Brewers. So I think, and with how that people are doing it now, remember Corbin Carroll got like a seven-year, one hundred eleven million dollar deal before he stepped foot on the baseball diamond for the for the Diamondbacks, and it, it already has paid off. 
I think you'll see Trio get a similar deal to that. And I, I actually think a lot of Brewers fans will appreciate how savvy of a move that is. And speaking of savvy, they have Matt Arnold. And Matt Arnold's good at his job. And I believe in Matt Arnold. I think Matt Arnold knows what he's doing. They said he's already gathered a list. I saw Verducci rumored that it was like Pat Murphy, Don Mattingly, and who is the other guy? Uh, David Ross. Uh, and they're like, oh, they need a big name to kind of keep the brand and keep counsel at bay. No, you don't. Just if you think managers are not this important, then get the guy that makes the most sense for this team. And I want to talk a lot about managers with Mitch uh, tomorrow um, and want to save some of that meat. So we'll say, we'll leave it there. But I will say, if you're, if you're mad at Mark Ananasio and you don't want to be a Brewer fan or you don't want to support him, I get it. But I also want you to remember that if Mark leaves, this team leaves too. They're going to Nashville. They're going to Portland. Don't, Discount Jimmy Haslam made buying this team and moving it to Nashville. I think that's maybe on the table. I, I've again, this is my dumb brain. It's late at night, uh, but I just I, that that's kind of scares me. He's lurking, right? It's minority owner of the Bucks. Um, it also could be you know Haslam it, in the past has, was he was minority owner of the Steelers and then he got the Cleveland Browns. So it could be that Haslam you know wants to own Seattle's team or uh, Vegas, which is slowly slowly coming or he wants to you know potentially take over the memphis ownership who knows right but yeah be careful of uh mr hazel because that would not be good because jimmy would move that fucker to nashville but if he took over the brewers um they would have a lot more money it'd be a lot more interesting uh Hazel had the team he's also a wild card so who knows uh all right Let's uh, move on. Let's get happy and talk about two teams who won today, uh, Marquette and the Milwaukee Bucks. The Marquette Golden Eagles. I'm going to start with the Golden Eagles. I know a lot of you are probably like, why isn't he starting with the Milwaukee Bucks? The reason why is because I was at the Marquette game. So I want to talk about that. Uh, I went on a little bit of a whim. Uh, my wife got ticket well i we both got tickets where we have a mini pack and they were giving away free tickets to the northern illinois game and kind of just thought weather was nice we didn't have anything going on we were like what the hell let's let's get out there let's get out of the house and go to the game and go see marquette and you know i think for me knowing that this is a potential special season for marquette that I wanted to be in the building for it. I missed the banner hanging. That was that was bad. That's on me. Uh, but again, like I said, it's kind of on a whim. Uh, we were decided last minute to go. So and that that happens, right? Uh, so we get in there. It was vibes were immaculate, right? Uh, it was not a sellout, but sixteen thousand strong. And I'll talk about the crowd and kind of my thoughts and slash takeaways. But it was just, it was awesome to be there. And it felt good. And there, it was like kind of just this blanket, right? Like you're watching, you know, this team that you grew to love you last year, 80% of that team back. Omax really the only guy that's missing. It was a lot of fun. And I had a great time. And I, I would recommend getting on that bandwagon. If you don't, you're not a college basketball fan, you're a Bucks fan, you're a Brewers fan, maybe needing some just positivity, 
look at basketball's right here for you, baby. Um, and here are a couple of things that I that stood out to me from this game. I do want to kind of come up with a Marquette segment than just like takeaways as I do with the Bucks. I uh, have not come up with it yet. I know I got a, a lovely Marquette fan base that listens uh, to my shit. So if you guys have ideas, um, I'm all ears um, on segment ideas uh, because I have a lot, I do a lot of different stuff. Um, we could do golden kegs, we could do lessons learned, we could do questions. Um, so yeah, let me know what, what trips your trigger um, or if something I'm not even thinking about. Happy to uh, explore and experiment. Uh, thought number one, I'm very excited to see these guys against real competition. We'll see that next Tuesday night, uh, next week against Illinois uh, in Champaign, but it looked really special from the get-go. There was no screwing around. You know, they didn't pull a Michigan State and lose to James Madison in overtime at home. You hate to see that. Uh, they took care of business really right from the start. They were up 50 to 28 at halftime. Uh, it, it didn't at all feel like, okay, they were nervous or tight. Yeah, there was some sloppiness here and there, but it was just go, go, go from the jump. I think it helped Marquette that Northern Illinois plays at such a fast pace. There were 73 total possessions in this game. It was an absolute track meet for both teams. And I actually think that played to Marquette's strength and kind of let them you know, get comfortable early on. They didn't have to play a slog to start the game. But yeah, they were ready to go. They did not you know, sort of sniff their own farts, if you will, um, and took care of business right from the start. Thought number two, Tyler Kolek's three ball looks pretty. I uh, made, I think he made three, did he make three threes or two threes in this game? Uh, Kolek made three threes, he was three of four. He front-ended one at the end, but Tyler Kolek's three ball was just absolutely pure. And it, the shot looks a little different. It looks better. I think Tyler Kolek knows that if he wants to be a second round pick or even a late first round pick, he's gonna have to shoot probably 40% from three. And if he's doing that, look out. Like that makes Marquette an entirely different team. Uh, Tyler Kolek has not been that. I think for the, I think he might have had one year at forty percent, but he was not that last year. And while great last season, there there was not the case. Well, he was thirty nine percent last year, so that was really close to forty percent. Was twenty eight percent when he started at Marquette, thirty five percent in his first year at George Mason. So yeah, he was 38% last year, but if it's like 42, 43, like, oh, wow. Like we're, we're at another plateau and it just looks like it continues to improve. And you can see the craft of Tyler Cole kind of being there with his three ball and still improving his game. We talked about, you know, how, how much can Tyler Cole improve? Like what's, what more is left in that ceiling? And maybe it's the three ball. Uh, so I really loved what I saw from Tyler Kolek. I also love what I saw from Cam Jones. Uh, Cam Jones, I love the need a bucket ability of Cam Jones, where it's like, hey, we need somebody to score. Cam Jones, there. And it's not, it's not, sometimes it is, but most of the time it's smart shots. Like it's in rhythm or it's taking it to the rack and drawing a foul or it's finding an open space for three. And he gets you that bucket. He is that release valve that is so important. And I still want to see what happens when he kind of has a rough start. I know it's week game one, right? There's going to be a bad Cam Jones start to a game. 
But because he got in rhythm early on, it was all systems go. And the big problem for Cam Jones in the past has been when shit's not going right early on, he tends to struggle. And so I still want to see that side, but I really like the fact that Cam Jones was in need of bucket mode right away. And not that Marquette had a ton of like stalling periods, but there were a couple instances in that first first half where he just needed, you know, see the ball go in and Cam Jones was, was the guy. I mean, he 20 points in this game. Uh, he took home the, the Ken Palm MVP of the game. 163 uh, offensive rating, which is really good. It's over 100. So he was the top or second guy, or yeah, second guy for Marquette. Chase Ross, number one at 183. Uh, made three threes, made almost all of his free throws. Like he was just solid all around. And he, Northern Illinois had zero match for what Cam Jones was bringing. And I think we talked so much about Kolek and Oso Yadara, who also was pretty good. I would say if I had to rank the three, if I was ranking the best boys today, uh, it would be Cam Jones one, Kolek two, Oso three. Um, also, I just had some moments where he looked a little baby giraffe out there, which, so, you know, game one, right? Not, not going to freak out about it. But we sleep a little bit on Cam Jones. Um, and I wonder if, you know, he kind of makes his way you know, up into that big three and kind of talked about more as a big three instead of the big two with Oso and Tyler. And, and maybe he already is. I don't know. I just, I feel like Cam Jones is a forgotten guy. You guys can let me know if you agree or disagree with me on that. I'm not too, I'm not worried too much about the defense. I understand that Northern Illinois scored 70 points. They scored 42 in the second half. Uh, they were 43% from inside the arc. Uh, 7 to 26 from beyond the arc. And, you know, if they attacked the rack a little bit more, could they have won this game or made it closer? Certainly could have made it closer. I don't think they would have actually won the game. But I think with the way that this game was played, I kind of, Ryder will be interesting, right? Who they play on Friday. Like, Ryder's a much more slow, methodical team. I kind of want to see the defense there. I'm not ready to pull the fire alarm and say, wow, we have a problem defensively. Um, I think it's too early for that. Um, but I, I, yeah, there it was a concern, but I, I just wonder if it's the, it's the kind of the competition more so than it is the team, than it is like the team's actually bad defense. Um, so we'll have to see. Um, certainly something to keep a eye on as we uh, head into Friday is can the defense look a little better? I think that's, that would be a, a hope for everybody. Um, they, Illinois, Northern Illinois was under, you know, a point per possession. They were 0.96. So that's usually pretty good. Um, so I, I think maybe it's a, we're a little rushed to worry about that defense, but I, I do understand if someone's saying, what are you concerned about coming out of this game? It's like, well, we gave up 70 to Northern Illinois. But I just think that's the pace that North, like the over-under was 152. So it wasn't like this was this was a game that was supposed to be low scoring. It was definitely expected to be a shootout, and it was. And Marquette obviously took advantage of it early on and really never looked back. Uh bench quick hitters, I have a bunch of them. Uh Chase Ross, I'm all in on. I've been on all in on Chase Ross. I've been on Chase Ross Island. Uh, the island only grows stronger. Uh, 14 points, four rebounds for him. Uh, I can't believe he's only 6'4". Like, I, I think I said that on the preview show, but 
in person, I was telling that to my wife. My wife kind of like looked at me weird. I'm like, I can't believe he's 6'4". Like, she's like, oh, he's your same height. And I'm like, yeah, he doesn't look it. Like when I look at him on the court, he looks 6'6". Six, six. He looks 6'7". I don't know. Uh, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm the idiot. Uh, ben Gold, I feel slightly better about. Uh, I, I, like he looks more like a basketball player. Like he doesn't seem like he's this kind of dopey sort of goofball, not goofball, but like, he just had this look to him like he just did not necessarily belong on the court. Now he kind of does. Like haircut, like he's a little more muscle, muscular. He was fighting for rebounds. Made, he had a huge dunk uh, in the second half. I, I liked what I saw out of Ben Gold. Um, I'm not ready to say, okay, yeah, Ben Gold can hang with the best of them. I think Paige Touchers pointed out that like these are the games that you see Ben Gold shine. It's the games against Illinois where he gets small, which is obviously a little bit of an issue. Um, Sean Jones. So here's the thing. Like I watched when I was watching Sean Jones and he played a decent amount. He had 19 minutes. Uh, they were pretty balanced overall with minutes. I was like, I, I felt like Sean Jones played all right. And, but he had the lowest offensive rating beside him. Trey Norman, actually the lowest at 79, but Sean Jones, 89, 83 on the offensive rating. Uh, five total points in this game. Maybe it was the missed free threes. Maybe it was the four fouls. I don't know. But I, I liked what Sean Jones kind of brought to the, the Marquette offense and defense. I felt like he was tenacious. I felt like he he seemed like he was a little bit better than what we saw last year. Um, so I don't know. I, I was a bigger fan of Sean Jones than I think what some of the advanced analytics are saying. Uh, lastly, uh, Trey Norman seems like he'll get some run. I don't have any true t- Trey Nor- Norman takes for you yet, but it does seem like he's going to get some some time. He's going to get some clock. And it'll be interesting to see next Tuesday what that bench looks like and how much you see Jones, Ross, and Norman. I would imagine you see Ross a lot, um, but I don't know about Norman or or Jones. We'll, we'll certainly have to see. As I mentioned, the crowd was awesome. Uh, it was Everybody was fired up. Uh, the student section was great. I mean, that to me is like the biggest shocker thing. And I know people have talked about this in the past, but when Steve Wojciechowski was with that program, there would be maybe a half bowl full on one side. And that was your Marquette student section. And it'd be kids who were basketball fans who wanted to be part of the Marquette experience. Now Shaka Smart has cultivated such a culture, uh, I probably should use another verb than cultivate, but he's created such a culture at Marquette that you have student section on each side, it's full, you have some overflow into the upper deck. Like, this is what Marquette wants. Like, I was thinking about the dance party, they do like this dance party segment, which is awesome. Like, it's like, lights go down, they start playing like, how, like, whatever, EDM shit, and it's awesome. And, during big games, it actually works because it fires everybody up. Like every, you get a pep in your step and I'm like, all right, let's fucking go. Like we're all ready to roll after that. And it just made me excited for the big ones, right? Be in the house for Texas, we'll be in the house for Notre Dame, for Creighton, for UConn. Like those are all games that I'm just absolutely fired up for already. And it's mid early November. We got a long way to go. Uh, so yeah, the crowd was great. 16,000, you know, largest opening game attendance for Marquette. Um, and I, I don't think that's going to stop anytime soon. And now it's on to Ryder. Ryder, Mac team. Uh, we'll do maybe a little bit of a preview on Friday. I don't think we'll have a gambling line for 
for that. Uh, I can tell you what Ken Palm predicts it to be, though, and we can run through that and run through, you know, what you look at for college basketball. If that's something you're interested in, uh, maybe we'll do that. Uh, but yeah, uh, we'll see the Ryder matchup on Friday, and then the fun starts uh, next week. All right, let's wrap up today's show talking about the Milwaukee Bucks. Also a positive. Milwaukee Bucks beat the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, as noted, I was at the Marquette game, so I didn't have eyes on it. I feel like I'm on the Cover 3 podcast, if you guys listen to that. I, I love that podcast, by the way. Uh, it's great college football content. Uh, if you haven't checked it out, do recommend it. Uh, but anyways, I was able to watch highlights. I was able to... I wasn't able to watch anything back because Bally's like, well, no, I it was I think I got a little bit and I was having issues with it. Uh, but I, I did my best to kind of start grinding out some Buck stuff. That's why the podcast is going up late. It's because I was watching as much Bucks things as I can and you know, reading about the recaps and everything else. Um, and here are the takeaways from it. Because I, I want to make sure that if I if I don't am not able to watch something, that at least I I watch enough so I can I can gather my thoughts and gather what I saw out of this. Um, Giannis Antetokounmpo dominated this game on both sides of the ball. Uh, it was a great bounce back for him after a rough game against the Knicks. I think a lot of people were like, is Giannis all right? Like, is he still, is this just growing pains? Is he just not comfortable here? He saw blood in the water. I said to you guys yesterday, I felt like this was a great matchup for Antetokounmpo, given the fact that Nick Claxton was out with injury and the Nets basically have Dayron Sharp as their only big guy. And Giannis absolutely pulverized the Nets. Uh, and 36 points, 12 rebounds. Uh, he was a killer on defense in that the last minute of that game. You know, Dory Finney-Smith gets a leak out. It looks like the Nets are going to tie out the game. And Giannis absolutely abuses him in the best way possible. And Chris Middleton comes over to help. And they create a bad shot for Finney-Smith. It was awesome defense by Giannis Antetokounmpo. And... This was a solid Giannis game. There was a t one thing that was wrong with it. I want to talk about that a little bit later, but I, I was really impressed with the way Antetokounmpo played this basketball game. He was truly special um, and definitely something to you know be happy about, right? Like this was the first, well, what? Did, what did he have? Did he have a big game against the Miami? Yeah, he had a big game against Miami. But this is, again, another step forward, right? And I think this is the coolness of the Bucks with Dame and Giannis and Chris Middleton is like, it can be a different guy every night, right? It doesn't have to be Dame. It doesn't have to be Giannis. It doesn't have to be Chris. And tonight it was a little more Giannis, a little bit of Chris, some Dame, but it was, it was definitely a, a great Giannis night. Uh, takeaway number two, Bucks bench won them this game tonight. Like, look at if you look at the box score, and I'm not a, a huge plus-minus guy. Um, I wouldn't say it's my favorite thing in the world. But tonight, it kind of stands out to me. Because Brooke Lopez, Damian Lillard, Malik Beasley were all in the minus. Uh, Lopez, 15. Lillard, minus 14. Malik Beasley, minus 9. Bucks bench, by Portis, plus 14. Marjan Bochamp, even though he only had 3 points, plus 18. Cameron Payne, plus 9. Content was minus one. Crowder was minus six. The Bucks bench combined for, let's do the quick math here. That's not what I should have done. 21, 20, 32, 47 bench points for this Bucks bench uh, with four guys going into double figures. Uh, really strong stuff. 
uh, from that bench. Uh, Bobby had, had some nice moments. Jay Crowder had some nice moments. Campaign, as mentioned, had some nice moments. Three of those guys made multiple threes. Crowder, Payne, and Connaughton. Uh, really strong stuff uh, from that Bucks bench. And you also had Bobby Portis closing out this game. Brooke Lopez kind of got played off the floor in this one. Uh, mostly because of the lack of size that Brooklyn has. So you, and they were getting him in a lot of matchups with Mikhail Bridges. They put Bobby Portis out there. Bobby Portis actually survived. Bobby Portis' defense has been one of the sneaky great things about Bucks so far this year. Now people are talking about the fact that Bobby's busting his ass out there. And I, I really love it. And he, yeah, he handled it well. The closing minutes were okay with Bobby Portis out there. And I like that Adrian Griffin's trying shit, okay? I hate to bring up Craig Council after all the shit we went through. But one of the things about Craig Council that I always loved and I always respected was that he would throw guys out in kind of a trial by fire. And that was kind of what Bobby Portis had today. And he passed the test. I wouldn't be surprised if there are other moments where they give Bobby a chance to close if it makes sense. Bucks do need to figure out, though, how to slow down the perimeter heater. Uh, after Brunson goes off for 45, what happens? Cam Thomas, also 45. Now, I will note to you, Cam Thomas has been a Bucks killer, another guy who has seemingly tore up Milwaukee. But they're going to have to figure out how to slow down these wings. They have to try something else, right? Is this just because Chris Middleton's on a limits restriction? Is this we need to play Jay Crowder more? Does Jay Crowder need to be in the starting lineup? So these guys kind of don't get started, kind of throw them off their game because it doesn't get easier this week, right? You have Cade Cunningham, then you have Ty Tyrese Halliburton, then you have Ben Caro or, or Franz Wagner, whatever way. I do think the Bucks match up well with the Magic because Magic have size and I think the Bucks have size. Now I was worried about Ben Caro and, and Wagner. I'm more worried about Halliburton and Cade Cunningham because both could easily go off for 40 against the Bucks. I think if they're able, that that should be the focus in Wednesday's game. Like, let's cut off Kid Cunningham and let somebody else beat him. Because I don't know if the Pistons have it. Uh, the Pistons, after kind of a nice little start, they lose again tonight to the Warriors. Uh, they don't cover uh, 120 to 109. Warriors were on back-to-back, -back, didn't matter. Um, and so I, I feel like they need to they need to do that. And hopefully we see Halberton. Halberton has ducks a lot of Bucks games for some reason. Um, and I, I want to see it out there. And I want to see what the Bucks do because that's, to me, that's a bigger test than the Cade Cunningham one. But you got to slow those guys down. You can't, can't let that happen. I will say if you want to kind of be glass half full about this defense, really you only had four guys in, in double figures for the Nets. So it was really three guys, four guys that were, you know, making things happen. I mean, Cam Thomas shot the ball 33 times. So he had 45 points. We shot the ball 33 times. Like, I don't know, man. Mikael Bridges, 31 points, but he shot the ball 21 times. I mean, all these stat lines, the only one that is a kind of a respectable stat line is Royce, Royce O'Neal, which is not surprising because Royce O'Neal always kills the fucking Bucks. 12 points on eight, eight, on eight shot attempts and four, four made threes. Like even Lonnie Walker at 19. So now I'm just running through all the guys that were double digits but it's eight for 14. So I, I am arguing myself, which I love to do sometimes on the show. Uh, if you guys are new, that learned that that's something that I, I have a tendency to do. Um, it, it like, 
these aren't like exactly light them up scoreboards. Like these are these are not that great. They just had more shots to them because the other guys that played minutes did not really want to shoot the ball. Ben Simmons and Dinwiddie, two of their starters, combined for seven total shot attempts. Like I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. Um, so maybe maybe I'm feeling a little bit better now that now that we at least consider that that part of the equation. Lastly, um, the Bucks didn't waver when the Nets were on their run. Like the Nets, Bucks get out to 108 99. There was probably a moment there where the Bucks could have maybe put a couple nails in the coffin. They didn't. They let the Nets back in. As you know, basketball is a game of runs, and the Nets would end up taking the lead at one point. And the Bucks didn't. It didn't really bother them. It didn't really phase them. And I think that's been the one of the nicer things about the start of this season is. Bucks have found themselves in three close games, three games where you're like, would well, last year's team won the game? I think they would have won tonight. You know, we said the Knicks and the Philly, maybe they wouldn't have. Uh, tonight, I think they would have. I, I just don't think the Nets are at the Bucks level. I think the Bucks are able to overwhelm them. They, it seems to be a bad matchup for Brooklyn. Uh, the Bucks have been pretty successful against the Nets the last few few times that go around. So yeah, I uh, I definitely don't you know love that the Bucks were able to you know kind of just stand pat and stand their ground and they they continue to win these tight games uh, that's the third one that they've won they've not lost yet in that tight game situation uh, their true losses are just blowouts and that's all they are and even that heat game was kind of a BK I guess yeah that's so four four really is the, four really is the number there uh, so yeah awesome stuff all right, golden keg and tap keg from this game. Uh, if you aren't familiar, we pick a golden keg, which is the best player of the game, and then a tap keg of something that disappointed us. Sometimes it doesn't even have to be, um, you know, a player. Sometimes it can be the same player. And this is where we're at. Giannis Antetokounmpo, like we said, great game. Both, both ends of the court was pretty awesome. Uh, it was a good, solid Giannis night. He took advantage of a weaker opponent and absolutely smelled blood in the water. The tap keg is Giannis shooting seven threes and shooting one less three than Damian Lillard. I understand before tonight's game, Giannis was shooting 40% from three. I understand that maybe Adrian Griffin gives him a little more liberty to shoot threes. It does not mean that Giannis Antetokounmpo should be shooting seven threes in the game. At most, we should get four threes from Giannis. If Giannis gets four threes and he makes three of them, then yeah, let the man take another three. Let the boy watch. Like, yeah, let let keep keep it going, right? Um, but we do not need seven threes when he haven't made one. The fact that he shot two and one goes in and the Nets couldn't get a rebound, and that was a significant point in that game in the fourth quarter. Like that's just that's just dummy honest shit sometimes. But yeah, we don't need seven threes from Giannis. Like Dame, you gotta feed Dame a little bit more. Okay? Um, that's all I'm saying. All right. It's on to Detroit. We will not have a recap from that game. We'll kind of do a, a double recap uh, when we have the Indiana and Detroit on Friday. So stay tuned for that. Um, stay tomorrow, Mitch, here. Uh, so we'll have Tapping the Keg, episode, I think, 528. Uh, so, yeah, we'll get into council, obviously. I, did, I had an awesome topic for tomorrow uh, that we did before and that I was going to bring back. And now I'm like... Uh, is it, is it done? Can we not do it? Um, so uh, we'll see. Stay tuned. Uh, but yeah, we'll, uh, 
We'll talk to you guys tomorrow. And yeah, we'll see you on back for the solo show on Friday. So stay tuned for all that. Appreciate all the support. Appreciate all the love today. It really means a lot. Uh, thank you. Uh, and if you haven't seen any of that stuff, go check it out. Tammy Kai on Twitter or on X and Tammy Kai Sports on Instagram as well as TikTok. All right. Take care of Google. See you. Bye.